Over the last several years, the San Diego Padres have transformed themselves into the talk of the town, all of Major League Baseball, but it hasn't always led to success. And this year is the, the grand magnum opus of letting people down, let me tell you. Being a disgrace to baseball, dare I say, and one man has been at the helm of it for a very long time, A.J. Preller. Is it time to move on? Let's get into it. You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Tuesday, September 5th. As always, I am your host with sometimes occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You can follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, that's J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres. Just in case you only want Padres content and not me tweeting about One Piece all weekend, then you could go check that out right there um, for updates on the show and etc. And of course, Locked On Padres on YouTube, where not only can you check out my fit, not only can you say hi to Pac-Man and Tatis, but going to start posting like little game recaps or little kind of live, sh- the, the, the shorts, you know what I mean? I know what YouTube shorts are. I sound like such a boomer saying it like this, but uh, you know, it's I'm excited for it. Uh, and I'm going to be posting on there more just to give the game recaps and whatnot. And I don't know, maybe people like them. Who knows? I'll try and make them as crazy and entertaining as possible. Today's episode, guys, speaking of entertaining, is brought to you by Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper Picks, and you can win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions do apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. And on today's episode, it's an episode that we've had to, honestly, I've been overdue. I ain't gonna lie to you. It's been a while, but we gotta talk about it. AJ Preller, GM of the San Diego Padres, who has been here since uh, essentially 2014, but ostensibly took over and I think is, it, it counts. We're gonna be looking at 2015 onwards, right? Like just his entire like tenure being fully in control of the team, uh, of course, on coming in the middle of the season in 2014 and then having the full season in 2015 and whatnot, right? So we gotta talk about that. And this season, man, I, I mean, last night I think was a really great, I mean, every game, to be quite honest with you, is a good microcosm of the Padres season. Any loss, let me be specific, any loss that the Padres have is a good microcosm of the season because it often features good starting pitching, a couple of really good plays, or et cetera, and then just some for some reason when it, when the the time to strike, the time to come back, they always fail, right? And last last night was actually a really great example. They lose to the Phillies nine to seven, and they had actually been down by quite a lot. They made a comeback for once. That's right. Despite the fact that Rich Hill for some reason is still allowed to start games for this team, granted. They're kind of, they're basically out of it. I don't think they've been officially eliminated yet, but so it's kind of whatever and just throw them out there. But the guy can't even eat innings. Apparently, he goes one and a third, giving up six earned runs on seven hits. Uh, he's a disaster. He has an ERA above nine ever since joining the Padres. Uh, I'm sorry, he has an 8.5 ERA since joining the Padres. So if you were hoping that, like I was, that this guy would come in and give you like that five inning 
or or five innings, six inning, like three or four run start where he just ate innings for you but didn't kill you. Uh, he wasn't even able to do that. <laughs> so shouts to Rich Hill. I'm not mad at the guy. The guy's like 47, and you know when he was acquired, it's like what, what were you expecting? But hey, good thing that we gave up Jackson Wolf for G Man Choi as well. Oh wait, G Man Choi hasn't been doing anything either. So. Classic Padres. Um, they lose this one nine seven after being down. I believe it was eight uh, one. I just want to make sure I get that exact real quick. If my app would work, Yahoo Sports man, why is your app so finicky sometimes? They were down eight uh, one at the top of the third inning, and they were able to make a comeback uh, somewhat after Trent Grisham gets a single. Hassan Kim has a big game in this one. Uh, Garrett Cooper even manages to get a sack fly. Saint Gary gets involved. It is quite hilarious that all of the RBIs in this game aren't really scored uh, from the guys that you would expect to be scoring in this game. Machado striking out uh, in this one with second and third uh, after a double steal that ended up working for the Padres. Tatis, by the way, two stolen bases and a home run in this game. Get them counted stats up, baby. But, uh, you know, he's not able to do anything. Soto gets two walks in this game. Um, and a stolen base. He was part of that uh, double steal. And then Machado, of course, he does go two for four with a walk in this game. But with second and third, he strikes out because that's been his thing all year. Xander Bogarts one for four with two runs scored and a double. He, he was fine. Uh, he, he's gotten on base pretty safely uh, lately. He's having a nice little uh, streak lately. Again, I, Bogarts is just one of those guys where... You just can't fully look into this season only. Like, this is a really bad first year. It could have been worse. Um, but I do imagine that a lot of Padres fans are frustrated because you can look at, um, you know, the rest of the league and you can look at someone like uh, Trey Turner, who the Phillies at least tried something. They moved him to the bottom of the lineup and then they gave him a standing ovation, the fans, and then he's just been on fire and he's been absolutely incredible ever since, which is really frustrating if you're a Padres fan because we've been waiting for Bogarts to have any kind of torrid stretch like this. Even if it was for two weeks again, uh, it would have been great. But of course, Padres unable to make the comeback, even in the bottom of the ninth when they start off with a Garrett Cooper walk and Gary Sanchez walk. Um, Matthew Batten, fielder's choice, it's fine, whatever. Then Campizano unfortunately strikes out and then Kim strikes out. The Campizano high was about to go absolutely nuclear. Uh, just really, really frustrating. Every Padre this year, with a few exceptions, um, like Tatis, believe it or not, I know that that sounds weird, but in high leverage situations this year, uh, he's actually been quite good, first and second. He's actually been okay uh, this year, Tatis, especially considering all the time missed. And Soto, with uh, men on first and third, I think has been terrible, and I think men on second uh, has been terrible too. And then Machado and Bogarts, I don't think I need to get into that deep about it. So it was a good microcosm for this season. This Padres team, I've mentioned this before, but they're 6-22 and in one-run games. They haven't won a single extra innings game. I talked about last week that I genuinely think a reason to watch, and I know this sounds awful, but like I do take a sick pleasure in the possibility of them breaking that 1969 Expos record of going 0-12 uh, in extra innings. Like, I think it would be genuinely astounding if they managed to do that. I really, really do. I know that sounds terrible, but um, it's what I'm rooting for. And all of this coalesces to today's topic, which is about A.J. Preller and whether or not he needs to go. Um, and I think that most people at this point are like, yeah, he should go. I don't know many people who are defending Preller right now. Uh, which is totally fair. Um, but I want to start off with a little bit of the good about A.J. Preller. And I want to talk about what is defensible before we get into the bad and the ugly. You know what I mean? Because uh, there's a lot of bad and ugly. And I think we just, in fairness, need to talk about some of the good. And the good is, 
I think, pretty obvious at, at first glance, which is just the overall transformation of the San Diego Padres. Um, he deserves a lot of credit for that. This is a team that, you know, as you all know, I'm a recovering Yankee fan. For the majority of my life, the only thing that I knew about the Padres was Tony Gwynn, that they had the the camo uh, uniforms uh, on Sundays for to to uh, in support of the armed services because that's a big um, community, especially out in San Diego. Obviously, um, that's that I knew, and then I heard of um, uh, that the the Trevor Hoffman lad. I heard of him before. And dare I say that's it? And that they had Everett Cabrera who got pulled over uh, for for was it was it for marijuana? I forgot what it was, but and that he got suspended for a bunch of games for some drug related thing. That was like and and in 2010 when I I don't know why I remember this, but I remember staying at a hotel with my mom. It was our version of a vacation. We stayed at this like luxurious uh, retreat, you know, hotel place. Which yeah, go ahead and make fun of me that that was my version of vacation. I don't go on many vacations. Um, but I remember being there, and I remember we were... Uh, I, I got up in the morning, and I remember looking at the TV. This is when I was so, so, so young. This is, like, when I'm still in, like, maybe middle school, I think. And I remember this... I remember looking on the TV, and they brought up how the Padres were having, like, a historic collapse in the second half. And it's really crazy to note that that wouldn't be the last time I would be... Um, privy to a collapse in the second half for this team, right? Obviously, 2021. Um, that's all they were known for, uh, in my experience. Uh, give or take your Aerie Dream Gonzalez's. I know, I get it. Obviously, Ricky Henderson played on the team once. Like, I get it, I get it. What I'm saying for at least my lifetime, which is I was born in 1996, for those who want to make fun of me for not going to Jack Murphy Stadium, well, I didn't exist when I was born. What do you want from me? Um, that for the majority of my time, the Padres were nothing. Um, this is a team that wouldn't pay Chase Headley. This is a team that, you know, Drew Pomeranz would have to get traded, even though he had been a successful starter at points. Like, this is a team that really didn't have much outside an occasional player or two that you'd be excited in fantasy baseball, like me back in the day with Tyson Ross. That was basically all this team was known for. And ever since AJ Prowler took over, all of a sudden, wow, we have a trigger-happy GM. And I will never forget one of my best friends... Uh, his name is Drew. Hi, Drew, if you're listening. Um, that he came from San Diego, and he, you know, ended up moving to uh, where I am in New Jersey. We became really good friends. We were both, you know, Chargers fans. That's what started out. And he was a big Padres fan, and he would always be like, "Look, I, I sort of still like them, but they just are never doing anything." And I remember like our senior year when AJ Preller took over, uh, or when we were seniors in high school, where he's like, "I was so in support of the moves that Preller made." Because his thing was, we never do this. Go ahead and trade a Trey Turner at the time. Go ahead and trade all of these prospects that they had. Go ahead. I'm all for it. I like Andrew Kashner. I just like that we're doing something. And I do think that that means a lot, that you had a GM that was willing to take chances. There are a lot of GMs for pretty that teams that are have a decent budget that don't make moves like this. I mean, until recently, the Atlanta Braves had a problem with their GM. I know that he's, like, the best in the league. But for a while, like, he didn't make any big moves. And I know he ended up making them uh, as time went on, but that was a, a criticism of his. This is a criticism of many teams, of Brian Cashman of the Yankees, of, dare I say, any GM of the Mets <laughs> the past, like, 20 years, right? Like, this has been a, a, a strong criticism for the team. And Preller came in and said, screw that. We're going to play, we're going to be big ballers now. And I do think that means a lot. This is a guy that like learned Spanish. This is a guy that was really big into scouting and to, and works super super hard. He's like an, an uh, just a, an insomniac practically. You know what I mean? Like this guy is a hard hard worker, and that does mean a lot. 
And there's actually some more positives about Parler that I want to get into. But before we get into that, let me just quickly take a second, guys, to do our one sponsor of the day. The MLB playoffs. They're coming up, man. Oh, yeah. The Padres may not be part of them, but they are coming up. And playoff baseball, in my experience, even if, even if your team is eliminated, something special to them. And for Padres fans, maybe you just want to root against the Dodgers, you know? But anyway, playoffs are coming up, which means the clock is ticking on your chance to 100 times. Not double, not triple, not quadruple, not quintuple, but 100 upalapolo. Whatever it would be. Uh, 100 times your cash on daily fantasy baseball. Uh, baseball has never been more exciting than it is now with studs like Acuna and Betts and Otani and this guy, uh, Trey Turner, apparently, at this point, right? Uh, all sorts of great players in Major League Baseball. I am blanking on other great players right now. Who else is good? Freddie Freeman's good. Who's another good player in baseball? You know, you, you got your pitchers. Uh, this Justin Steele lad apparently is the best pitcher in the National League now. But anyway, uh, look, it's never been more exciting than now. And baseball with Sleeper, you can pick more or less on stats for things like home runs, total bases, hits, steals, whatever, strikeouts for pitchers. And you get more for up to a 100 times payout on Sleeper. It's really fantastic, and I love it. And on top of that... They've also a really great app for fantasy football. I am actually doing my draft today. Hope y'all root for me. I might tweet a picture out of my sleeper team. I might. I might fit my fantasy team because they're great. Quality life changes. It makes your league so much better. Just go check that out. I love it so much. Like league history stuff, the the game by game fantasy points. It's great. It's good stuff. And over at Sleeper, I actually like the idea of taking, speaking of uh, good players, Garrett Cole. Maybe uh, get some strikeouts tomorrow. I don't know. I kind of like it. Seven and a half strikeouts against Detroit. He's going to get at least three from Javi Baez, right? So I don't know. Go look into that. He's at seven and a half uh, strikeouts, the over-under. I would personally take the over. Uh, I like that against Detroit. I think he's due for just a strong Garrett Cole-like performance. So go check that out, guys, and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions do apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Go check it out. And we're back, everybody here on the Lockdown Padres podcast, free and available on all platforms. Go check us out on SiriusXM for the play-by-play broadcast of the Padres or Lockdown Padres, whatever you want. Go check that out, guys. And we are continuing our take on AJ Preller, all right? Because we've been talking about a lot of good, because there is a lot of good. And the second thing I wanted to talk about was on top of the willingness to trade a bunch of guys, you also have, I think, and I think that even the haters of AJ Preller, the detractors would agree that guy's a great scout. It does say a lot that every time the Padres have made these big trades, they managed to bounce back. There have been teams that have been trying to rebuild a, a farm for as long as I can remember. I'm talking, um, heck, the Yankees to a degree. The Yankees take a long time seemingly to build up a farm. I know they've had some good successes, but the Yankees are a good example. The Blue Jays, I swear, are a great example outside Vlad Jr. and, and Bo Bichette as of late. The Orioles took a long time despite you know trading Manny Machado. Um, to the Dodgers, like it took them a really long time in order to rebuild. You look at 
the the tigers have been taking forever almost for nothing and the angels despite having all the talent in the world they refuse to give some depth with, with all that stuff right like they just haven't found enough help for Chai and Otani despite all the trades that the Padres have made from back in the day losing Trey Turner right from back in the day trading away uh Rizzo for Andrew Kashner and that didn't end up working right back in the day for the the Matt Kemp and the Craig Kimbrell and the Blake Snell and the Yu Darvish and the Juan Soto and the, heck, I'll even say Adam Frazier, Jack Swinski, not a terrible player. Uh, he hits for a whole lot of power. Um, all these trades that they still find themselves able to continue making them. And I think that's a testament to Preller's acumen as a scout and what they've done with that whole scouting department. And I think that's a really big point. The fact that a lot of people think we might have like a top 10-ish system again with guys like Robbie Snelling on the outside and then Ethan Salas, who's becoming like a superstar level like like big buzz prospect like this guy's getting like a lot of buzz and i'm wondering if he's going to become a little bit of a sensation and like really popular to talk about on the level of like your ellie de la cruz's and you know i'm not going to say bryce harper because bryce harper is the most highly um prophesized prospect i've ever personally followed like that guy was getting covers on like espn right but you know you have him and then of course you have jackson merrill that isn't a big plus for preller and then lastly the other big plus for preller is about this season which is that They've been impressively bad this season. I already told you about the 0-11 in extra innings, the 6-22, and 23-1 run games, and just overall, I mean, they've been so heinous uh, in clutch situations this year to the point where it doesn't add up. Um, it doesn't add up at all. I just don't understand. For you to have the overall numbers that they have, which is like they're like 16th in runs scored, uh, in, in baseball, they have you know multiple players that have decent WRC pluses. You have Gary Sanchez and Luis Campuzano have been excellent this year. Even if not always the most clutch, they've still been great. And if you could get anything out of your catchers um, offensively, then that's great. Hassan Kim has taken another leg up. Juan Soto has been pretty good. Uh, you know uh, who, who else we have? Matthew Batten has actually turned into something lately. And then you have the starting pitching, which has been excellent. Blake Snell, borderline Cy Young guy. He, at this rate, might finish second because Spencer Strider has been so good. But still, all of that stuff, they have incredible defenders. Tatis and Kim likely to win gold gloves this year. Um, yes, their batting average is 21st in the league, but on base percentage, they're 11th, 16th in runs, 13th in home runs. ERA, they are fourth. Batting average against, they are fourth. Yes, the bullpen can be a little bit shady, but they still have Josh Hader with a sub-1 like one ERA for most of the season until recently when the... Uh, the um, who killed him? The Cardinals killed him for some random reason. This team has found ways to blow leads all the time, and in my experience, clutch stats and things like you know uh, run differential, where you have a positive run differential and you have a horrid record like this, it tends not to translate year to year. It seems like it's a little fluky. So that part of it, I look at it and say, look, it's not his fault that Manny Machado has been here for years, and all of a sudden, after getting paid, just decides to stink up the joint. Last night, you know, with the strikeout and everything, like. Uh, unbelievable stuff. Although I will say with Machado, do, does he deserve some slander when it comes to high leverage stuff? When you look at his playoff stats, he's basically only had two series in his lifetime where he's played up to his standards, which is the NLDS last year against the Dodgers, which legendary, of course, I love that so much. And then the NLCS when he was with the Dodgers against the Brewers. Otherwise... Not the best in terms of, like, getting a lot of at-bats in the postseason. Go look that up, by the way. So, I don't know. Manny Machado might have to be brought up when it comes to those big situations. But I look at that and I say, that to me is a team 
that is just underperforming drastically. You can't win more than three games in a row. I put out on Twitter the meme of the kid who's like terrified and like grabbing his sister, like scared, and it's just like this innocent little bunny. And I said, that's the Padres, you know, every time they have a chance to win more than three games. And someone quoted it, uh, Jeff Ellis of Lockdown Guardians, and he pointed out like, same thing for the Guardians. And that's true, but the Guardians also have had a bad offense for a while now. Like, they have always seemingly been a team that struggles to score runs. Like, Josh Bell didn't work out? Okay. Jose Ramirez had a down year? Okay. Outside of that, like, yeah, Stephen Kwan's okay, but is it that crazy that they're not playing all that well? They're pitching? They don't have nearly as much talent as the Padres, is basically what I'm saying, on top of being in a bad division. So, the Padres, you look at that, and I'm like, bro, I watch this team. It's different than teams like Cleveland. You're telling me you can't hit better than, like, Detroit with runners in scoring position? Than the Red Sox with runners in scoring position, who you just took Xander Bogarts from? The Cubs? The Cardinals? That, to me, is a little bit more fluky than to blame on Preller. A little bit. Now let's get into the good stuff. The bad and the ugly. I was talking with a bunch of friends, uh, baseball friends and pals and industry people, like, because I genuinely keep asking people, like, am I insane uh, watching this team, or is there just is this like historically bad? And they're like, yeah, definitely, it's one of the most disappointing teams I've ever watched. And I think what ended up happening after talking to a bunch of people is that the consensus we came to was the following: that this season and them being this bad is a fluke. I do not think with all this pitching and with all this talent you have on paper that you should be worse than it's too. If they were, and I talked with Ben Caswick about this, by the way, which you guys can go uh, check out, my crossover Lockdown Giants host, where if you told me the Padres would be like three games above 500, that they would be what the Giants record is right now, or what the, let's look at another like decent team in baseball, right? If they had the same record as the D-backs, 71 and 67, if they had the same record as the, as the Reds even, 72 and 68. Or they have, they're like the Marlins or the Phillies or whatever, right? Like, they're just slightly above 500. The Phillies are 14 games above, but you get my point. I would be like, that's disappointing, but okay. Uh, their offense, disappointed. Bogarts has a bad year. And Machado slows down a little bit. Okay, whatever. But for you to be this bad, that's like, to me, a fluke. Because on top of that, you got Tatis back, and he's played amazing defense. And... You're starting pitching the back end. Seth Lugo, we're going to be talking about him later this week and whether or not they should re-sign him and bring him back. Uh, like, he contributed mightily. This is a guy that was going to have an innings limit. Remember that? Remember when he was supposed to have an innings limit or whatever? He's been exceptional, especially as a number five starter. He can even rack up strikeouts sometimes. He's got good spin movement. He keeps the ball in the yard more than you would think, although I wonder if he's going to be, you know, if he might regress dramatically with some of the home run fly ball data. But... You have him, then you have Michael Waka, who pitched excellently. One pitcher of the month was in contention for it like every month. He didn't give up more than three earned runs for a very long time. Like, Michael Waka has been incredible. And yes, they missed Musgrove for a little bit and he missed the rest of the season. But then you still have Snell. Like, in terms of starting pitching, they've been excellent. So all of that elite defense, elite starting pitching, you can get on base, you can hit home runs, you can, you can at least hope that Josh Hader will be good. And for you to be this bad, which is nine games below 500, that to me is a fluke. I, I really genuinely believe that this season is a fluke. For them to be this bad with all that stuff that I gave you, granted, they're tertiary stats, but even still, 
without diving deep, you should not be nine games below 500. That to me is a fluke for you to be this bad with runners on. I don't give a flying crap about any of the Dodgers fans that are going to hop in my mentions or my comments on this video telling me, that's why you'll always be the Padres. Because they love to act like they are the 90s Yankees and they've won seven titles in a row when they haven't. And to me, I respond with that saying, no one knew that this was going to happen. You could... I know people who absolutely were like, I don't know if this is going to be that good. A good friend of mine who's been on this podcast before, Colby, was like, I think the lineup leaves a little bit to be desired. But even he's like, no, no, I didn't think they would be this bad, though. I just thought they, they weren't like this top six offense that everyone was making them out to be, which is fine. I think that's a perfectly fine take. I would have been fine with it heading into the year. Not a top ten offense? No problem. I get it. But like this bad? I think it's a fluke. I really do. But. But. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take a sip of water and get into why we need to view the rest of this and why it's an indictment on Preller. So just one second after these messages. And we're back, everybody, here on the Lockdown Padres podcast. Of course, you know, you know what it is. Go check out the SiriusXM. Go check out wherever we are, whatever platforms, you know what it is. Continuing to talk about Preller, I was just mentioning that I really do think that this season is a fluke, and that's what some buddies of mine were talking about. However, when you take into account, let me just read the record of every Padres team since 2015. In 2015, AJ Preller's first year, 67 and 73. Not great. Oh, wait, hold on. I'm sorry. I was I was reading this year's record. I, I blanked. 2015, the first year. That Preller takes over, and the year that he makes all those crazy trades, right? They go 74 and 88. Bud Black, uh, famous manager, uh, obviously, shouts to Will Myers, uh, with, you know, Justin Upton, with Matt Kemp, with those guys, unable, it doesn't really work. Although, shouts to Will Myers, who had, did, was this the year that he had like a little? No, no, never mind, it wasn't this year. But anyway, 74 and 88. So his first year of going all in didn't work. Didn't work. Next year, 68 and 94. Granted, that's when they started to get rid of some players and they had to start rebuilding the system. 2017, 71 and 91. 2018, 66 and 96. 2019, interestingly enough, 70 and 92. First year they get Manny Machado and Tatis gets called up. Still 70 and 92. They trade Fran Mil Reyes at the deadline, a player who probably looking back was definitely worthy of being traded. And I get it. Because he was a really, really, really bad right fielder. But at the time, people say, look, that took a lot of the momentum out of that team. And then they were really bad in the second half. Um, in fact, just to get you uh, you know, an idea of how they were in the first half, they were 45 and 45, which is not too bad. And then 25 and 47 in the second half. This team is just allergic, apparently, to being good in the second half. 2020, 37 and 23. Very good. In a truncated season, though. And in fairness, and in fairness, this is worth bringing up, that they might have gone deeper into the postseason if not for Lamette and uh, Mike Clevenger uh, both getting hurt. Like, literally, like, three days before the postseason started. That's right, Dodger fans. I hate to I hate to ring your bell a little bit, but you had both, both of our top pitchers were hurt when you were able to finally not choke a playoff series. So congratulations on that. Let's give them all a round of applause, everybody. Congratulations. You beat us in a short season. It's the only time your team never choked was in a 60-game season. Uh, then 2021. Don't need to re uh, relitigate that too much. 79 and 83. They were in a playoff race for a while, but an unbelievably bad second half 
that, ugh, I mean, do I even have to say it? Basically, same thing. The difference between this and 2019 was that 2019, they were a fringe 500 team. While this team, 53-40 and 40 in the first half and then 26-43 and 43 the rest of the way. I'm going to end it there because I want to get started there. 2022, arguably the only good, great, like, in it, like, what's the word? Like, untainted, no shortened season, nothing season. They go 89 and 73 with that budget. And they're very good. I mean, the first half, they were 57 and 42. Second half, they don't collapse. They were good. They were good. Uh, especially because of Manny Machado, who was unbelievable that year. And in my opinion, should have been the MVP. And also when we had Jerks and Profar smile. And then this year, of course, that's it. That is a pretty bad record for a rock star or at least allegedly rock star GM who makes all these trades and especially for a guy who has a big budget. AJ Preller's budget also, while I am praising him for the moves that he makes, I praise his moves of trades. That's what I would rather uh, praise for AJ Preller because I do think that means a lot that you have a GM that's not, you know, trigger, uh, I'm sorry, gun shy. Right, and because he knows seemingly that I'll be able to find more talent as he keeps doing over and over, but when it comes to money, that should be something that we give more praise to Peter Seidler for. Of course, Preller deserves credit. You know, like I, hey, learning Spanish does mean something, right? Like he's able to talk to these guys more. They clearly trust in something that the Padres are building when he's able to convince a player like Manny Machado to sign with the Padres. Like that does mean something, right? Maybe he just took a look at the farm and said, "Yeah, I love this team's farm system." And then. San Diego weather sounds fun. That's possible. But Peter Seidler deserves a lot more credit when it comes to the budget of the Padres. When we take that into account, this team having the budget that they do and consistently underperforming, let's take out this season the specifics of why they're bad. Let's just look at it as underperform and overperform. You know, like binarily, let's view it that way. If you just view it like that, that is not a fluke. That is organizational and that is at every level. Not as much from Seidler, although Seidler, you know, he's a little bit new around here, but even still a little bit from him for not, you know, managing to figure out, like, let's allocate our budget better and whatnot. That's what A.J. Preller should be doing. Allocate our budget to get more into the analytics department, more into training staff and whatnot, because it is not a coincidence. And this is the greatest and ugliest thing about the Padres, which everyone brings up. I'm not breaking any news here, but every single player with, for some reason, the exception being Gary Sanchez and Hassan Kim, every single player they bring here gets worse. Every single one. Either that or they stay the same which is the best case scenario, and that's bad. You know why the Dodgers bring in some schmuck like Amanda Rosario, no offense to him, and he turns into a superstar for a few games, or they bring back J.D. Martinez, and they literally bring back his MVP form practically, or when they bring in Jason Hayward, who had an on-base percentage below like 100 for the past three years, and all of a sudden he's a really quality like two-win player for them who could play a little defense. Granted, that is the best of the best, and I think that is a mistake to compare yourself only to the Dodgers and Braves and be like, well, look at what they do. It's like, no, no, no. They're also just the best. I think that's a mistake. It's like being mad that your quarterback is, you know, Joe Burrow instead of Patrick Mahomes, or your quarterback is Dak Prescott instead of, I don't know, Trevor Lawrence, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's still good stuff. But in the case of the Padres, they also fall behind other teams that are able to manage quite well. You cannot have the amount of trades that this team has done, the amount of budget that this team has done, spending money on Eric Hosmer for some reason, a guy that everybody knew was going to be bad. That's on Preller. Mike Clevenger, I'll give him a little bit of a break because that dude, I, how were we supposed to know that he was going to need a second Tommy John surgery like after three starts with us? That That's different. How was he supposed to know that Denelson Lamette 
was going to just be completely crumpled and not get the Tommy John surgery and be just completely just done. Like, he's cooked. Um, I called him damaged goods a while back before the season even started. I was like, this guy doesn't have it anymore. Like, yeah, there are some bad things that go against Preller, but when you look at it binarily just in terms of expectations and disappointment, it's way more disappointment. They've basically had, absent the weird 2020 season, which is a season that you cannot use as, like, something to put on your ledger, something to put on your resume. It's a great season, and I love it. It was my first team season covering this damn team. And I had a blast. I love the Jorge Mateo walk-off. I love when Tatis tied it with two outs against the Rockies. And even though there was nobody there, I love the famous picture that goes on the MLB The Show logo of him tossing the bat. All of it was great. Manny Machado's Grand Slam, the Grand Slam Diego stuff. It was so, so fun. But you cannot use that as something to defend Preller. Because that is a year that gave us Jose Altuve being the worst second baseman in the league. You know what I'm saying? Like, that season, you just got to throw out a lot of the results there. At least in my opinion. Um... So that's not good. And overall, I just... What is going on here? Oh, it's Bob Melvin now? So he's been able to hire something like four GMs, or I'm sorry, four managers, and it just keeps being their fault. A guy who's won manager of the year three times, and just last year took us to the NLCS with a worse roster. It's his fault. He just doesn't know how to manage now. Again, this is a fluky season. But the way I see this is like... I am so frustrated at a team that has stars that continues to only think that this is the NBA and you got to reassemble, you know, the, the Larry Bird Celtics or the Golden State Warriors. No, you had Machado and Tatis and then a bunch of prospects. Why are you then thinking that the only way to make this team better and the only way to be as good as the Dodgers and Braves is to be like, we have to trade everything for one guy. They keep doing this or we have to sign guys for 11 year deals. You guys can go back and look at me before the trade deadline last year. I am on the record saying I did not think they needed to do the Soto trade. Is he a great player? Yes. Would I love to extend him? Yes. But after they did the trade, my thing in the offseason was like, okay, extend him and then sign Michael Conforto. That is, those were my number one things that I wanted. Was I right on Conforto? Maybe not. Because he hasn't done all that great with the Giants. Granted, though... That contract doesn't hurt nearly as much than if you miss on a Xander Bogart's contract, which seemingly uh, they might have, uh, at least so far. Um, it's too early, but you get my point. Um, and instead, they just go for the big stuff again. They extend Machado. They extend Darvish. They extend Cronenworth. Three players, or at least two of those three players, I don't think you were in that giant of a rush to get. I don't know why you had to do that right now. The overcommitment to the present is something that Preller and company keep doing outside of their ability to scout. It's just getting more, that's just not, it doesn't add up. You need to have some depth. You know who's been pretty good? Garrett Cooper. I wish we had more Garrett Coopers. You know? He's another exception to the nobody gets better with us rule. He's been an okay player. You need players like that that fill out the bottom of your lineup. And again, this is a fluke season, but this hasn't been the only year that they've been bad. They disappointed in 2019, and they imploded in 2021. They imploded both years, in fact. And I think that's an indictment on your depth. That's your an indictment on this, this front office that keeps trading every ounce of depth to the point we're out here hoping that Michael Waldron can come up and toss good innings for us. To the point where we are seriously tossing Rich Hill in games that matter. I'm not saying last night, but weeks before when they first acquired him at the deadline. Granted, maybe that was just because they really wanted Choi. And their thing was, sure, we'll take Rich Hill too because, you know, we need someone to throw innings. But even if that's the case, why are you in a position where you need Rich Hill to throw innings and you have a budget that's the third highest in Major League Baseball? 
it just doesn't add up. And that's what's ugly about this. And I bet you guys, someone that people have tweeted this a lot, and don't get me wrong, I will fight and I will defend when your Brewers people and people who are fans of small market teams love to relish in the Padres being bad as if their team has been any better and that they are just totally fine with accepting the Brewers spending $3 every year on their budget despite having a weak division. I'm not going to go down that route, but you get my point. But people have brought up, like, how is it that you have managed to have the same record, give or take maybe one or two games, whatever, I haven't looked at it in a little bit, as the Washington Nationals, except that they have your farm. How is that? And that's what I think is happening here. Because, yes, I am willing, if the Padres didn't have 2019 happen, and they didn't have 2021 happen, and they were a lot better in 2022, they won like 93 games or whatever, right? Then I'd be willing to just be like, nope, keep Prowler. This is a fluke. I don't care if they spent a lot of money. This is a fluke season. It really, really is. But this isn't the only time. You look at 2016 and the same issues keep coming up. It's the only team that's like this, guys. It cannot be consistently happening where nobody gets better. And we keep trading and making these blockbuster moves that while they are fun and I enjoy the engagement, they get your boy on his episodes of his podcast. In the end, I just don't think that's the way to win. If we didn't have Machado, and we didn't have Tatis, and we didn't have Musgrove, absolutely, I will trade everything on the, in the farm for Juan Soto. If we didn't have stars already. When you already have your stars, I'm cool with that. I said before the season that I was totally, I would like Manny Machado, I love the guy, but I was also totally cool if they said, you know what, let's just go and find some replacement, like decent third baseman. If we have to. Instead, let's give that money to Soto, extend him for like 10 years if we want to, right? And then we, you know, it makes more sense because it's like, all right, we gave up all those prospects. Well, he's now our new prospect because he's so young. And then you decide Tatis, Soto. Those are the core guys that we'll build around. And then you give, you could still spend a lot of money, but it's more middle level tier contracts. It's your Michael Waka contracts. It's your Nate Evaldi contracts of the Rangers. And I know that those are best case scenarios, but stuff like that. Guys that aren't going to, you know, hamper you for years and you don't feel like you have to commit to them for the next decade to the point where I'm going to be, you know, 45 years old rooting for Xander Bogart still. I, that's what I think. So when I look at this and I, I look at the amount that AJ Preller has done, I say, yeah, I do think it's time to go. I just don't think it's a coincidence that these things keep happening. If it was only this season, yeah. But as a whole, just the the binary kind of thing of everything, the binary kind of thing of everything. The binary look of success and failure. It's been a whole lot more failure with this budget. And it just doesn't make sense. Why were you bringing Eric Hosmer? You know what I'm saying? And again, why did you extend some of these guys and that you didn't need to yet? I did like the Suarez extension, but why did you have to do it then? That's my issue. Why did you have to do Darvish then? Why did you have to do Machado when you have all these other guys on your team and you just gave Xander Bogarts money? Why did you have to do Xander Bogarts when you traded for Juan Soto? Why did you have to do for... It just keeps happening. And that's my issue with this team is that they have all the talent in the world, but you hear all these stories about the management and the the way that they handle these teams, the way that they handle their budget, the way that they handle their farm, and that this keeps happening, and that Preller is a micromanager and all these things. And I say, yeah, absolutely. And there's been some horrid trades. Trey Turner being the worst one. Right? The Adam Frazier one. That was another example of short-sightedness. Sure, is it possible that Preller said, oh man, I don't want to give up that much for Scherzer and also there's not enough bats on the market? Sure, but also 
that's still an indictment on Preller that that season ended up resulting in the worst like second half collapse ever. Right, like that still needs to be taken into account that you've had multiple seasons with collapses and then you've had this year where it's been, even if they were just okay, and let's, let's pretend they were 500 right now, even that is a, a, a cause for concern for you to be like, why, how are we spending this much money and falling apart? This doesn't make any sense every year. And that's why I do think it's time to move on from AJ Preller because all in all, I think that his he means a lot and I'm not going to, if he is removed look back on this and say, wow, what an awful GM. Instead, I'll look back on it as he was close. He had some of the it factor as a GM. But unfortunately, kept kept getting in his own way. Uh, and, and You know what I mean? Like instead of just, re, you know, putting more into analytics, getting some better trainers and stuff, making more moves like Ruben Niebla, whatever it is, um, you should not be failing uh, this much. I just don't think you should be. And I think that throughout the course of the history of sports, one to three years, it's the manager. You know, five or so years, five, six, seven years, it's the GM. And then 10 plus, you know, decades type of stuff, then it's the owner. That, in my experience, is what it amounts to. In my experience. Usually, coaches, if it's if it's that, you know, if it's like one to three years, okay. Then managers, and I think we're in that reign. From 2015 onwards, I think we're at that point where it's like we need to start looking at all this. And I know that it's a little bit unfair to count certain seasons like 2017, 2016, etc. before they bring in Hosmer and Machado because they were intentionally rebuilding. Okay, but even then, you got to go back to 2015, which is him giving up your Trey Turners and all of those prospects when you probably shouldn't have done that yet. You know what I mean? The 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 jump to it isn't right and it stinks and I hate it. It is the worst thing sometimes about baseball that you gotta sit and wait because for some reason this sport loves like rewarding paying someone $1 million for 10 years instead of the superstar who inexplicably just ex explodes this year. You know what I mean? But uh, it happens and that's why you need to balance your roster. That's why you need to make the big splashy moves for sure. That's how teams end up winning. They always have some big star on their team. Even if they're like 12th in payroll, they'll still have like a couple of players where they made a bit splash for even the Brewers with Christian Yelich, right? Like you have to do stuff like that. But also, you can't do only that. This is not the NBA and this is not the NFL where you pay your quarterback and your big wide receiver a crap ton of money and then you fill out the rest. You got to be more balanced. And I just think that Preller keeps doing the opposite of that. And I didn't go through every specific trade. Because I might be saving that for another episode. Just best trades of AJ Preller's tenure or worst trades of AJ Preller's tenure. I just think that could be fun. But man, it's rough. And I ranted a little bit today. I snapped a little bit. It took a while, but I finally snapped. And I just want to emphasize, like, Dodger fans, please get out of my mentions. It's so annoying getting one, getting at least two comments every day from people mocking the Padres again. I don't know why that fan base thinks that they're the 90s Dodgers. I really don't get Or the 90s Yankees. I just don't get it. It's frustrating. It's frustrating indeed. But ladies and gentlemen, that about does it for today's edition of the Locked Out Padres podcast. A little bit of a chunky boy today. The only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you your podcasts from. Stay tuned to the YouTube where I'll be uploading, of course, episodes of the show and also those little shorts things. Uh, from now on, wish me luck in my fantasy draft. And also, later this week, might do a little bit of an optimistic episode about why the Padres might actually be decently set up for the future. 
We might, we might, we might do that. We might do a podcast with Millard. We might do some game recaps just because why not? Because I hate Philly and I'd like to beat them a little bit. But until next time, stay safe and of course, stay faithful. My fire faithful homies, take care.